Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Ten years ago, I was looking for an alternative to that nighttime bourbon. Why was I drinking bourbon at night? Well, many of you are familiar with the situation. You get home from work and you really just want to relax. And sometimes the drink is what you turn to. So I was looking for an alternative, surfing all around the internet and came across Kava Kava at a early blog that was done by Mr. Dave Asprey himself. I purchased some and it worked really, really well for me. And fast forward now, Kava has become a staple in my evening routine on most days. But it's not a compound without controversy. In fact, there's quite a lot of controversy on kava. And so I'm dedicating this entire episode to kava itself and really trying to understand it a little bit more. And my guest is Cameron George. He's an entrepreneur and founder of True Kava, a company that is striving to set the industry standard for quality, safety, and education around kava within the mass market. TrueCava is focused on developing scalable, user-friendly products that deliver full therapeutic action of the traditional kava drink, which has been around in the Pacific Islands for over 3,000 years. Cameron's got an amazing story on how he came to kava himself, whether that be through issues with benzodiazepines, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, things that came about after a career in athletics, et cetera. And we get into all of that today, but we also get into the benefits of kava, whether it's the anxiolytic properties and numerous other benefits as well. So check out the show notes to this one. It's going to be at decodingsuperhuman.com slash truekava. That's T-R-U-K-A-V-A. And kava is something that I've studied for a long time. So I was fascinated and absolutely delighted to have Cameron on the show today. So enjoy my conversation with Cameron George. If you're over the age of 35, your enzyme levels have already begun to decline and your immune system can be more susceptible to viruses. Enzymes are the workhorses of digestion. They break down your food into usable macro and micronutrients. Now, research shows that by the time someone hits the age of 65, their saliva and pancreatic secretions, both of which are involved in enzyme activity, can decline by as much as 50%. This decline creates chronic indigestion, setting the stage for gut issues, yeast and mold overgrowth, and even malnutrition. This is why I'm a fan of enzyme and probiotic supplementation, and yes, I do do it myself. And one of the best companies I've ever found in this space is my friends at Bioptimizers. Masszymes not only contains more protease than any other enzyme on the market, but it also contains 13 additional enzymes, including lipase for fat digestion, which works at every pH level from 2 to 12, in other words, at every single stage of digestion. Their proteolytic probiotic, P3OM, uses a patented natural process to upgrade a well-researched probiotic strain. Now, there's a lot of controversy around probiotics, and you know some out there will say that no probiotics show up in people's gut analysis. That means that 99% of 
your probiotics out there do not colonize your gut as they claim. But still, the research shows we need good bacteria to fight off all those bad guys. Bioptimizers found a better solution for the probiotic. The result is this new super strain that they call the Navy Seals of probiotics because it eliminates bad bacteria and protects the good bacteria. You can watch the P3OM and MassSigns combo rapidly dissolve in a raw steak Yes, rapidly dissolve a raw steak. I said that. When you go over to bioptimizers.com slash boomer, that's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash boomer and use that code boomer as in my name to get 10% off any package. Try their enzyme and probiotic combo risk-free today. They have the best guarantee that I've really ever seen in the supplement industry. And it's a full 365-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is bioptimizers.com slash boomer. All right, Cameron, welcome to the show, my friend. Boomer, thanks for having me, man. So you're joining us from lovely Arkansas, which the weather here in Amsterdam today feels like Arkansas. And for those watching this on the YouTube channel, they may notice that I start sweating. Uh, That's because I'm in the box that is my podcast studio. But today we're going to be talking about just one of my favorite topics because it's something I've struggled with my entire life, but specifically how to deal with it. And that's anxiety. Um, I've experimented with kava for probably about eight years now. And when I was looking at, you know, in doing my own research, there's a lot of just esoteric publications out there and people's opinions around kava. And then I met you, Cameron, and I finally found somebody that I have a degree of confidence in, in terms of being able to explain the story to people. So thank you for taking the time today. Oh, absolutely. I love this topic. (laughs) So for those that are sitting here and asking, you know, hey, Boomer, are you doing an episode on the Spanish version of champagne? Can we just talk about what is kava? Right. Yes. Kava is a stress relieving nootropic elixir, traditional kava is, that's produced from the roots of a shrub like plant that grows in the South Pacific uh, Islands called Piper Mephisticum. And the word Piper Mephisticum literally means intoxicating pepper because this plant is in the pepper family. So it's got these beautiful heart shaped leaves, and basically the roots of this shrub have been used for over 3,000 years in islands like Fiji and this island chain called Vanuatu right at the coast of Fiji. Um, You know, Tonga, Papua New Guinea, even Hawaii. It's been used for over 3,000 years there, Um, you know, as a stress relieving preparation that's used in a lot of the same context that like we use alcohol, say in the West, Um, but also in the same context that we use coffee. It's a very sort of social enhancing um, anxiolytic substance. Uh, You know, it helps people loosen up. It helps people connect it helps people get into a state of, you know, introspective and creative thinking um, as well, too, uh, you know, which is, which is part of why people are drawn to it. Um, so it has, you know, this amazing effects profile. But then as you start to dive into some of the scientific literature that's been vetted out on kava over the last 20 years, which kava is one of the most well-studied herbs on the planet outside of, like, you know, cannabis, ginseng, and some of these other ones, it's, there's been a lot of publications on it. Once you start to dive into that, you find out that there are many, many other sort of adjunctive mechanisms that kava provides and therapeutic effects that kava provides 
um, that work at all different levels of human biology, which is, which is not that dissimilar from so many other, you know, what, what we see with cannabis, what we see with adaptogenic herbs, right? They have their effects that they're most popular for, in this case, stress relief, but then we have all these other effects too, on all these other systems in the body as well. Um, so, but, but anyways, traditional kava in these islands is a drink preparation that's prepared specifically with certain parts of the plant, meaning mm-hmm. the roots of the plant are the only parts that are consumed. The above ground portions of the plant, these leaves and the stems, uh, contain plant defense alkaloids that are actually mildly toxic to human beings. So they're not mm-hmm. consumable. Indigenous people found this out hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Um, so they take the roots basically in these islands and they grind down the roots and then they put them sort of in a strainer bag and they knead them into a bowl of cold water or hot water in some cases. And they produce this sort of full spectrum sort of cavalactone matrix drink where these active constituents called cavalactone sort of come to the surface and it's like a suspension because they're not water soluble. So they come, you know, to the top of the drink and then that's consumed um, in all these contexts in weddings, funerals, spiritual ceremonies, social gatherings, you know, all of these. Every uh, single day, contexts. right? Basically. Yes. I mean, so, so in Vanuatu, like, you know, 80 or 90% of the population is consuming it daily, um, you know, in, in varying degrees and dosages, but it's just, it's, it's a core fundamental part of, of living in these islands. It's, it's a core fundamental part of the social fabric of all of these islands too. So it's just, it's a very, over there to them, it's really their most sacred commodity. And uh, like in Vanuatu, it's like their number one, number two export. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's very, very common, obviously, over in the islands and virtually not even known throughout many other places in the world in, its, in this form. There are other forms that we can talk about that have made their way into the marketplace that um, aren't quite the same, you know, still sort of under you know, a similar umbrella, but there's, there's definitely differences there. Yeah. So let's connect some dots here, right? So Cameron, you are in Arkansas right now, which is a hell of a long way from Vanuatu. Vanuatu, for everybody that didn't remember what Cameron just said, (laughs) near Fiji, near New Zealand. Let's connect some dots for people here. How did you become interested in kava and how did that, I mean, I guess it led to Vanuatu via the kava, but how did kava come into your life? Yeah, you know, it, you know, for me, I always call my story kind of a pain to purpose story. I mean, most of the discoveries that I made, the reason that I'm in the industry that I'm in right now doing the things that I'm doing really all came out of my own pain. It came out of uh, me developing a pretty severe autoimmune sort of neurotoxic driven illness in my early 20s. Um, Which autoimmune condition was it or was it? Well, I, you know, it was difficult to get a diagnosis. It was one of those that just sort of exploded that I got many different diagnoses, you know, Mm -hmm. from, you know, you know, from lupus to Crohn's. The the diagnosis X. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was just, you know, the underlying autoimmune process. And a lot of times these diagnoses are just uh, correlate to symptom clusters so that you can be given a corresponding medication through the allopathic model. But really the autoimmune process is consistent throughout um, all these conditions. Um, and for me, it was to a degree that it was manifesting on my skin and my brain, you know, and my you know, circulatory system, my liver, the whole thing. And so I really had kind of a complete breakdown of my health that came from uh, many different environmental factors and stressors, toxic exposures, mm-hmm. bad reactions to medications, and just genetic susceptibility. It was just one of these situations 
that I call the perfect storm, right? Whenever you yep. have susceptibility in place, you've got some toxic lifestyle uh, circumstances, and then maybe a huge emotional trauma and a combination of things, and just the bottom falls out. And um, at the time- so, Okay, let's, let's talk about that bottom falling out because you yeah. and I have chatted before, and that bottom falling out took you to some very interesting places before you arrived at Kava. Yes. What were, if you don't mind just hinting at a couple of those places and what were the things that you were trying? Yeah, exactly. Well, the bottom fell out in my early 20s. I was about 20 years old and uh, I had had some egregious circumstances and some different, uh, you know, toxic circumstances leading up to that. But uh, at the time, I was an extremely functional, uh, you know, 20, 21 year old kid and I was working multiple jobs and I was, um, you know, a competitive athlete uh, here in the NCAA in the United States, uh, you know, a distance runner and, uh, you know, triathlete, all those things. And so I, well, I, I was also putting an enormous amount of stress in my body with, with those sports. And I kind of had an yep. abusive relationship with it that was based more on performance than it was longevity. So yep. all those things came to a head. I ended up in a, a, in a psychiatrist's office. I was prescribed a whole host of pharmaceuticals, the main one being amphetamines, Adderall, um, which that was the thing that sort of was the icing on the cake that sort of wiped out a very vulnerable system that was already quite depleted. So mm -hmm. the bottom basically fell out at that point. Um, and I got extremely sick over the next couple of years and basically cut to, you know, a year, two years later, I was completely handicapped, couldn't leave my home, was having all kinds of severe cognitive deficits, digestive issues, severe reactions to foods and supplements and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that sort of started me on the odyssey of sort of, I had really no choice, but to sort of. Um, spend some time in introspection as well as go into, uh, you know, scouring medical and scientific literature. And I was already someone who was kind of prone to that, to sort of finding answers for myself because I had exhausted the whole allopathic model at this point. Um, and I sort of made the rounds and, uh, you know, traveled around the different, you know, physicians and healthcare providers and such to, you know, accumulating uh, knowledge about different treatments, therapies, modalities, lifestyle changes. And it was just sort of this process of trying to assimilate all of these different things that I was learning into a multi-therapeutic approach that was a system that I could navigate. And mm -hmm. a lot, and, and that's how I got integrated into this world of, you know, sort of functional medicine and stuff and eventually started working in it. I came across, uh, you know, a couple individuals, you know, one of my mentors, Dr. Dan Pompa, who's, you know, he's a chiropractor yeah. here in the United States. Um, and he sort of coached me in a process that he calls true cellular detox. And that yeah. was sort of the core of how I got my life back, navigating that, different dietary changes, targeted supplementation, and then the icing on the cake. I did a lot of different regenerative modalities like stem cells. I've traveled around doing stuff like that. And so it was this combination of things that over time got me better. But when I was in the midst of my process, though, um, I had a – well, I – I was one of my main symptoms that I was having were like severe convulsions. I was having like multiple seizures a day and crazy reactions and stuff. And I was wow. on these heavy doses of benzodiazepines to try to control those things, these bad reactions and stuff. So um, that was becoming a problem pretty quick because as I sort of referred to earlier, uh, you know, drugs were a problem for me and that was sort of 
you know, one of the factors that destroyed my system to begin with and sort of the addiction and the, the dependency and stuff. And the benzos were having some terrible effects on my brain. They were having some terrible effects on me um, from a personality standpoint, as well as I was getting highly dependent on them, obviously very fast and was, well, was completely dependent on them. And, uh, you know, there's a tolerance to, they weren't even doing much for me anymore, but I couldn't just go off them because you go into severe withdrawal that's sort of one of the silent epidemics, you know, that's going on right now is just benzodiazepine addiction. Benzos are a huge epidemic, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're probably second only to opiates, but yep. any, any, you know, person who's been through that process would tell you who's been through both, you know, who's been through addiction of, of both opiates and benzos that benzos can, and many times is worse when it comes yeah. to the withdrawal symptoms. They absolutely can kill you. Uh, you know, they can bring you into severe life-threatening seizures and heart attacks and strokes and all this stuff. Uh, it's just a, a horrible experience to go through. So, you know, we're starting to get into this sort of um, mentality, I guess, this, this, this sort of understanding around that particular class of drugs where physicians are very, very hesitant to, to prescribe them even. Even the most mainstream secular allopathic physicians who go straight and only to drugs, um, are becoming really hesitant to prescribe them for any more than short-term acute sort of interventions to like, you know, severe panic attacks because the, the drawbacks just aren't worth it. Uh, so I, I kind of got down this road and I was actually working with Dr. Pompa at the time and we were, he was trying to coach me through some different protocols and things. Um, and uh, I was, I, the problem was I couldn't tolerate anything. I couldn't tolerate supplements. I couldn't tolerate foods. My nervous system was so fragile and I was getting progressively worse because of these benzodiazepines that was on. And I was going to start going because they had reached their maximum efficacy. And, you know, there comes a point where you stop getting effects. And then if you don't keep increasing your dose, you start, you know, getting a ricochet effect. And if you go off of it, then it gets really bad. So we had to find an off ramp off of these drugs, right? Because it was just they were, they were holding me back. Right. I mean, I was, I couldn't, you know, first of all, I couldn't tolerate anything and my convulsions were really bad. So I need to find something else anyways. So what I was looking for at this point, I heard, I, I had developed a sort of intimate understanding of the difference between sort of synthetic pharmacology and plant pharmacology. Um, mm -hmm. You know, synthetic pharmacology, meaning, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals are usually single compounds like a benzodiazepine, a single molecule that has a very linear action in the body, right? Yep. Which is great for therapeutic, you know, for acute therapeutic application. If you need, you know, general or, you know, local anesthesia, you know, for a surgery, or if you need a, an acute, you know, a, you know, an antibiotic or something like that, then that's, then that's a good option in certain circumstances. But the problem with that is because they have a singular mechanism. It's not part of the body's sort of signaling sequence or, you know, the complete what we call the innate intelligence of the body. And so the body doesn't recognize it. It's sort of like you have an assembly line and you try to intervene at, at one step, like three steps down the assembly line and it throws off the whole thing. Uh, you know, that's kind of what can happen with drugs is the body says, whoa, this is not part of our system. It starts to downregulate the very system that you're trying to stimulate with the drug. In the case of benzos, they work on the, the calming, the main calming system of the body. It's, it's the GABA system. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, basically what you get is you get a downregulation and a depletion of that system, which leads to the tolerance dependency 
and withdrawal symptoms. So it's sort of like you're using up your bank account of, you know, available GABA and all the different processes around it. Mm-hmm. Plant pharmacology. So what I was looking for when I was looking for an alternative to a benzodiazepine was something out of the plant or fungal kingdom that delivered and bound to the same receptors as a benzo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could get me through the withdrawal process, hopefully easier, as well as start to give me some of the therapeutic effects I was getting in the beginning, but without creating that sort of ricochet response, right? Because plant compounds uh, have what we call the, the entourage effect, which is they have a multitude of different synergistic active compounds that sort of work as a living system, just like the, the, you know, the cells in our body or the active signals in our body as well. It's, it's, it's a living system and there's all these different steps to the system and it all balances itself out. There's an intelligence behind it, in other words, right? So you know, plants are the same way. That's why many times with plants, we sort of all intuitively know that if it's a plant, it's going to be safer in your body. It's going to be more biologically compatible, usually, unless it happens to be a toxic plant or something. But when we talk about things that have been used medicinally for a long time, we're talking about plants that usually have therapeutic action that is, you know, synchronizes more with the body's, you know, biological processes. Mm -hmm. So basically that's what I was looking for. I was looking for an analog or a replacement, but something that was more complex that didn't give me the, the, you know, the addiction, dependency, and withdrawal symptoms. And I didn't know if I was going to find it, honestly, because, you know, I'm thinking I've tried so many different plant compounds and usually, you know, they're just not as strong. I mean, there's cannabis over here, but that didn't work for me. It doesn't bind to the same systems, made me more paranoid, had a lot of different, uh, yeah. you know, effects that were too psychoactive. Um, and then you've got a whole host of other different herbs like chamomile, valerian root, passion flower, lemon balm, these kind of things that you can find in every health food store that just, I mean, there's something, I mean, I like those herbs and they all do interact with this GABA system, but in such a subtle way that it was sort of like, for me, trying to use those to get off benzodiazepines was like trying to take down an elephant with a BB gun kind of thing. It, just, it, was, <laughs> it, it was like a... <laughs> It just wasn't happening, right? It was like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're helpful, but it's just not nearly enough. So at the time, like, you know, say, you know, I was doing Dr. Pompous protocols and things. And so we were talking about this and I had already been doing research for years and years, right? And so I had sort of found my way and, uh, you know, around the, around the scientific literature also as far as, you know, philosophically understood the idea behind plant medicine and sort of how mm-hmm. to navigate this world of the ethnobotanical community as well. Mm-hmm. So what I was looking for was, was this analog and, um, you know, going through the literature and looking at all of the different known compounds out of nature that do bind to these receptors, you're going to come across kava because it's known as one of the all-stars. Yep. But as I started to go through this list, I had already tried what I thought was kava before um, you know, at the beginning of my illness before I even ever got on benzos. And I really just went to the health food store and picked up a, you know, the a yogi a, tea kava. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> like a yogi tea kava or like a, you know, or the, the, you know, these other companies that are, that are there that you just get like capsules or powders or, um, or, you know, tinctures and, or yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, the tea bags there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I picked up that and it wasn't like it was nothing, but it just wasn't, it wasn't that impressive at all. Um, so I had kind of shelved it. So now cut to when I'm back in this horrible, you know, benzodiazepine addiction process and trying to scour for a replacement, I was kind of like, you know, I, you know, I've already looked at that. I mean, you know, people even told me I should, I should give it another look. And, 
Um, I was like, I've already tried it. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but intuitively I just decided, well, maybe there's something more here because whenever you read some of the anthropological accounts, when you read a lot of the historical accounts and you even read in the literature, um, there are effects that were being reported from Kava use that I did not experience with those store-bought products. And I'm like, there was a disconnect here because I, I started to read about, um, and talk to people, uh, from Vanuatu, I got in contact with a supplier who connected me with a bunch of farmers and indigenous people and started to sort of accumulate the story behind Kava. And, you know, to me, uh, it, it was just, there was this huge disconnect between what I had experienced and what they were experiencing, right? Yeah. So I decided to give it a try because one of the indigenous people I was talking to, I, I, I told them, well, I've tried this and I've tried that. And they're like, no, you haven't tried Kava. So they started sending me some of the the, the dried root that was, well, actually some of the fresh root too, that they had, um, you know, ground down that was still fresh, that was just undenatured. They sent it to me with a bunch of instructions of how to prepare it traditionally, right? Which was like- So this is like a matcha almost experience, like a traditional matcha ceremony kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very similar to that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they, um, right. So I was given instructions on how to prepare it through the strainer bag in the water. And it was a really tedious process. It took like 30 minutes sometimes to squeeze this stuff out. It was like, it got my strainer bag all nasty. It got this like film that's in there, which is like the cavalactones, but it also got all these tannins and root fibers and stuff. And, it, you know, I, I, I ended up with a very, I mean, it was a messy process that took time, but then at the very end, you end up with this big bowl of what looks and tastes like muddy water, right? Which at the time I was perfectly happy to drink, right? Because I'm, but you know, well, that's a that's a problem whenever you're trying to, you know, reach a lot of people with it, as we'll talk about. But uh, I, right, so I started preparing it and I started consuming it, and immediately I knew that it was different. But um, yeah, after consuming it for like one to two weeks, I was like whoa, I'm, I'm like super impressed by this. This is like really amazing because my reactions and convulsions uh, within like two, well, probably about four weeks were reduced by like up to like 80 or 85%. Like it was, wow. it was astounding. Like I was like, it was giving me therapeutic action that benzo, you know, that the benzodiazepine drugs, Xanax, Klonopin, the ones I was on were not even coming close to giving me. And mm -hmm. It wasn't giving me this tolerance effect that happens almost immediately with the with the benzos, and so there was this period of time, and so it's like, you know, there was this this short period of time where I was able to get off regular use of these things, you know, within like one to two months maximum. Um, really, it was around two months, which is sort of unheard of in this class of drugs. I mean, tapering from these things some for some people is like near impossible if their system is fragile enough. And, you know, whenever people do do it successfully, it takes a year, usually minimum. They've been on them for years, um, yeah. sometimes a year and a half, two years. So I was just at that point, I was completely just blown away by the effects and started to dive into it fully from there. So uh, just quick question here before we delve into the next part of this, but uh, the tolerance level with kava, has it built up over the years or do you, are you still kind of at that similar first experience, if you will, in terms of the amount that you take every day? That's a great question. Kava is really unique in that way. Um, you know, Kava's, you know, pharmacology is, is very complex and there's a lot that we don't fully understand about it yet on mm -hmm. why some of these phenomena, these experiential phenomena occur. One of the experiences that indigenous people have always reported on that's well documented in the anthropological accounts and it's not 
fully accounted for in the scientific literature is a phenomenon called reverse tolerance. Okay. Um, so it's well known by, by, you know, Kava users. And this is something that really only happens with this traditional preparation. I can explain why as well. But basically what, what happens with Kava is that unlike a pharmaceutical, like if I take a benzodiazepine or if I take Adderall, if I take a, a street drug, I'm going to get the most prominent effects the first time I take it. Nothing's like that first time. The biggest high or the biggest whatever you're trying to get from it, therapeutic mm-hmm. effects. And then tolerance start to, starts to ensue because, like I said, the system realizes it's there. You start to deplete it. You start to downregulate. And so you get less and less of an effect. You start to get this neurotransmitter resistance, right? You start to build up this resistance, um, which is tolerance. Um, with kava, it's well known that as you start to take it, you get the least effects the first time you take it, and you get this cumulative effect as it starts to build up in your mm-hmm. system. You know, and there's this sort of crescendoing effect that ensues over probably about the first one to two months until it sort of reaches a peak. And then it stays very consistent. Um, okay. So it's, it's really, really amazing. Uh, what's been proposed is that there's a, and there's been some, you know, you know, you know a couple nuggets of evidence to suggest that there might be some um, increase in GABA receptor density over okay. this long-term use and upregulation of the GABA system as well, sort of, you know, bringing up the parasympathetic nervous system. So it seems to be having this um, rehabilitative effect on that system uh, as, as well in a, addition to sort of the acute, you know, therapeutic effect that it's giving you. But the, uh, but, but yes, so that, you know, for me, my experience with it uh, has been that, you know, as soon as you build it up and reach that therapeutic level, you never have to build up again. It's only in the beginning. And then okay. it stays very consistent. It's one of those things that keeps working. Sometimes if you use one strain for too long, it'll keep working, but the effects will dull a tad bit. And so yeah. if you cycle the strain, then you'll, then, you know, you'll get full effects. And then you cycle back to that strain and it's, it's working completely again. But no matter what, even if you use the same strain, it's not something that loses its effectiveness, which is something that's one of the, its best characteristics, in my opinion. Amazing. So when you plug in Kava to the Google machine, right? Uh, of, of course, if you go to a site like Examine, it's one of the top recommendations for dealing with things like anxiety. But if you go into Google, inevitably, you're going to come across some websites advocating for a hepatic toxicity of Kava because historically there has been concerns raised, which actually resulted in bans in a number of different countries, particularly in Europe. But can we talk about that hepatic toxicity issue? Because I'm sure that there's somebody listening and due to the conversations that I've had over the years about Kava, there's probably somebody listening here with a little bit of skepticism and a little bit of questioning, okay, why the hell are we talking about Kava when there's a hepatic toxicity issue? Is hepatic toxicity actually an issue with Kava? So the answer to that question depends totally on context. And this is why this has been an enigma or had been an enigma for a period of time. But with traditional Kava, it's, it's, it's basically settled. So this is really the most important conversation that we can have around Kava, because like you said, it's like, why even bother if it's toxic or why even go down that road if we shouldn't be taking it at all? Um, You know, in, in all these circumstances, pretty much every plant medicine, big plant medicine that's you know sort of circulating through our culture right now, and some of the ones that aren't even circulating so much yet or completely yet, 
all the big ones. So, you know, we're kind of in the middle of like a, a, a plant renaissance almost where we have, you know, you know, the Amen. legalization of cannabis and you've got, you know, we're, we're making a rediscovery a lot of, of, of a lot of these very powerful plant compounds that have been used by indigenous people around the world for thousands of years and that have been misunderstood due to lack of context in the conversation, knee jerk mm-hmm. reactions, belief systems being developed, pushed by governments, and then it's just repeated, 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 and most people just sort of parrot that without actually examining the initial set of evidence that uh, you know hovered around the situation, trying to decide, okay, what context here? Is it good in all circumstances? Is it bad in all circumstances? A lot of these powerful plant medicines are tools, and if you use the tool incorrectly, it's like a hammer. You can build mm-hmm. a house with it, or you can hit yourself in the face with it kind of thing. And so context matters in all these circumstances, just like we've learned with, you know, in the cannabis world, there's a huge difference whenever we say, you know, whenever we even say the word cannabis, what are we talking about? Are we talking about CBD oil? That's pure. Are we talking about Delta 9 THC? Are we talking about, yeah. Are we talking about gaps of, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, you know, that of, uh, you know, 30 to one hybridized sort of like denatured, like, you know, THC concentrate, like it's all cannabis. It's all cannabis sativa or indica, you know, most likely. So that's kind of what's going on with kava as well too, is just like with cannabis, there's a huge spectrum of different preparations, forms, and quality that's going to dictate your outcome, right? So just like with the situation with cannabis, it's like, you know, if, I mean, even, you know, the negative effects that were there have been sort of over-exaggerated, obviously, and prohibition, there's a whole story behind that. But there are, you know, some concerns, obviously, in certain contexts, but then we can't just blanket that and say, well, let's just prohibit it and just sort of deny any of its medicinal application based on that. Now, with kava, kava is far, far more benign and well tolerated by light years than, than cannabis. Um, kava's reputation issues really um, are all quality-based, uh, you know, and toxicity-based, you know, in the context of it, it all came from one circumstance that occurred back in Germany and Switzerland back in the early 2000s, 2000 to 2002. There were a small set of studies that were um, unpacked using a one pharmaceutical product that was produced by one pharmaceutical company um, that was trying to you know, make kava into a drug, was trying to do what you know, a lot of companies are trying to do. They're trying to find the medicine in it and they're trying to extract that medicine and, and patent it. And yes, exactly. Put it into a yeah. patentable preparation. Um, and the problem is, is sometimes as, as researchers and scientists, we get a little bit of, you know, ahead of ourselves because we get really caught up in our, our knowledge and we get disconnected from our wisdom a little bit, right? Meaning that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know, wisdom is sort of intuitive and it allows you to look at past experiences and see the big picture behind things on not just can you do something, but should you, or is it the most complete way of doing something? Is it wise in the long term? Um, You know, knowledge is being able to take a a plant, isolate certain compounds, look at under electron microscope or some, you know, you know, sort of lab analysis and then create a preparation on it and get effects. Um, And that's, that's what a lot of pharma companies are trying to do. So in this circumstance, um, this was sort of at the precipice of what was about to be a huge kava boom in the world because it was just now really making it out into the West, into Europe, becoming popular. And this company uh, was trying to get a preparation that was pure kava lactones, um, which are those active constituents. And they didn't pay homage or really pay close attention to 
how kava had been used safely for thousands of years in these islands. They were just looking for the active constituents and said, okay, we're going to make a preparation on it. And then it ended up in, so they made this preparation and, um, you know, they gave it to a, you know, a series of, you know, patients and subjects and, you know, a, 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 you know, a collection of studies who most of which were actually already liver compromised because they were coming off of alcohol, which is why they were taking part in the studies to begin with. Um, they were on high doses of acetaminophen, many of them. There were all these different confounding variables that weren't controlled that made them vulnerable. And this product that they produced was not with the traditional preparation method mm -hmm. at all. It was a solvent-based extract. Um, and, you know, a lot of their preparations were done with egregious solvents like acetone and things, it was mm -hmm. believed. Uh, and which, you know, obviously some of the solvent up to 20% can be left back in the final preparation. But whenever you use aggressive solvents with kava, um, it concentrates and dissolves a lot of the most active constituents, but leaves some of the, uh, you know, some of the supportive constituents that create this balance in the body that I spoke of. Mm -hmm. So we can't expect to get the same effects and the same safety profile out of something that we've now turned into a pharmaceutical. So, yeah. you know, a good way to understand this is you can't isolate caffeine from, you know, coffee Arabica from a coffee bean and call it coffee, right? Yeah. You can't take a caffeine pill and call it coffee. There are many people who go into the ER from overdosing on caffeine pills. Some people die from taking synthetic caffeine in massive dosages if they're susceptible, but that's really not happening with coffee because coffee is the, the, the living constituent mixture. The same thing uh, could be said in a stronger form uh, of, of coca tea. Uh, you know, if you go to Peru, you can consume coca tea and it's, it's, it has medicinal value and they use it regularly and no one's robbing convenience stores and no one's, you know, you know, <laughs> you're losing their life over it over the weekend. If you isolate the main active constituent from it um, and turn it into a synthetic compound, which is cocaine, then yeah. we know what happens, right? It turns There's into numerous wars. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's, that was the situation. So this company got a hold of some, um, you know, some, you know, some not so good preparation methods, but also in addition to that, this conversation has been vetted, has been vetted out for the last like 15 years, because basically what happened in the studies is they, they gave it to some people who were susceptible it hurt some people who had some cases of liver toxicity, even a few cases of liver failure. And then there was this huge media campaign around it that just exploded. And even though it was just in this one small circumstance, once media got a hold of it, once regulatory agencies got a hold of it in a few countries, they just started parroting and mirroring each other. And we ended up with kava bands around the world. Mm -hmm. But the scientific community sort of you know, it was an enigma. Like in the U.S., it was never banned due to insufficient evidence, right? For example, there was just a disclaimer that was issued. So, um, right. So, so basically, it's been unpacked over the last 15 years. And it's gotcha. been well looked at by the scientific community. And so much so, now what we know is that basically this company got involved and, you know, sourced their cob material from some unscrupulous farmers who were most likely selling them their waste product, which is the above ground portions of the plant I mentioned earlier with all the toxic alkaloids in them. Mm -hmm. They weren't getting specific daily use strains that we call noble varieties. It's a classification term and they're more domestic forms of kava that have been dialed in for daily use. Mm -hmm. um, and they use these solvent extractions. So they're taking these extra um, plant defense alkaloids and super concentrating in them. So they're like making a pharmaceutical plant defense alkaloid product 
And so you end up with something that you can't call it kava and no more than I can call a caffeine pill coffee. So, so what happened was, is that that was believed to be what caused the circumstance that has never been demonstrated um, outside of that context and has never been observed in 3000 years of daily traditional kava use. Um, yeah. There's, there's, there's virtually no accounts of, uh, of, of um, you know, liver toxicity or even chronic health issues at all or anything but good health outcomes in, in, in these populations from taking kava. Um, so, you know, the evidence was so overwhelming that even the World Health Organization issued um, a, a you know, statement back in 2010, well, you know, one there and then one in 2014, um, you know, basically saying that this was a quality control issue. And if you, this, this whole you know, situation in Europe, and um, if you adhere to traditional preparation methodologies that kava has been shown to be, you know, a safe food-like substance that has been used for this period of time in the islands, right? So, um, and, and there's no evidence in the ethnopharmacological data that it's not. So that was their position on it. Um, we are in the process and have been for the last few years of working with some of, you know, the leading researchers, both in Vanuatu and in Europe, that help sort of vet all of this process out over the last 15 years uh, to develop and a, well, and it has been uh, submitted and the Codex Alimentarius Commission, which is a subset of the WHO that sets sort of, you know, quality standards for, uh, you know, you know, for products in the world um, is in the process of adopting this proposal that was created for an international quality standard. It's expected to be adopted, adopted by the end of this year or early next year that lays out all these criteria you know, it has to be traditional preparation methods, no solvent extraction, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that all products that don't meet those aren't even necessarily dangerous because if you don't get the aerial parts, then it still may be pretty safe with, with, with solvent extraction, but we don't know. There's a question mark around it. So basically the quality standard is going to dictate if it meets these criteria to be considered, to be the definition of traditional kava, to be then you you're going to be able to get food classification in many countries around the world because many regulatory agencies are going behind that so which is going to be great so it's going to yeah. be a situation where you might be able to get food classification here just like coffee um so the situation has really been completely vetted out right now it's just uh the idea around liver toxicity is just a relic of a uh, dogmatic process that happens anytime that a regulatory agency and government gets a hold of something. The best sort of comparison to this is like what happened with certain amino acids in the, in the United States, tryptophan. You know, this happened with yeah. tryptophan back in 1990, 1991, uh, where one company developed a product, you know, a synthetic product that um, was supposed to be tryptophan that was produced incorrectly and then had some neurotoxins in it. So it was chemically tryptophan. And it killed some people. And so then the regulatory agencies come back and they're like, okay, so now we're going to ban tryptophan. It's like, what? wait a minute. That'd be like, you know, you know, my buddy was telling me or, you know, on an interview the other day, um, uh, you know, someone was comparing it. So it's like, well, if we ban meat because someone sold something that wasn't meat and uh, it, it hurt some people, right? So at, at this point, it's dogmatic. And unfortunately, it's integrated into some of our information systems and there's still this belief system out there um but it's been well settled in the in the scientific community and even the main regulatory bodies so beautiful and thank you for explaining that i really hope that 
this process accelerates. Because for instance, I mean, here in the Netherlands, I can still get it. It's not technically something I, I should be able to get, but the process, it appears to be very slow to repeal these things. You, you see this in various other spaces as well, where we've ba- banned certain exogenous substances and despite the fact that there's overwhelming evidence to repeal those bans or that some of the original claims are not true or some other products out there are actually more harmful than the products that were banned. Uh, it just seems like the, the bureaucracy of it always gets in the way. And so my hope is, is that by working with the WHO that you guys are able to accelerate that process quite significantly. Let's take a break from the episode to talk a little bit about sleep. Yes, we all know it's important, right? And I think good sleep is really the Archimedes lever for me in my performance. And so what am I currently experimenting with when it comes to sleep? Well, the people over at Neurohacker have come out with a great formulation. And so I want you to head on over to neurohacker.com and check out their sleep formulation because it contains, well, tons of ingredients, but lots of beautiful things that help me sleep through the night, which is no easy task. Again, neurohacker.com and use the code boomer because you're going to get 15% off any subscription and 10% off any regular purchase. Enjoy my friends. And let's get back to the show. Yes, exactly. And it's just, you know, the way that you fight bad information is with good information and going yep. through the proper, you know, the, the proper scientific process to be able to develop because, you know, with science we're, you know, we're building evidence, right. And now, uh, and that's, uh, that's what we need to do. We have tons of anecdotal evidence. We've got tons of historical evidence, but, but, you know, it was really the scientific evidence or the lack thereof, right. It's, you know, um, on the, on, on the toxicity side that really created the over the, you know, the, the overwhelming amount of, um, of inertia that was needed to really get some of these regulatory processes in place. Most countries around the world, Germany lifted its COVID ban back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most countries in the world have either lifted their bans or in the process of lifting their bans. There's still some, some issue. Australia has been kind of slow to it. Canada has been kind of slow to it. Netherlands have been a little bit slow. Of course, there's still, you can still get it in, but it's, uh, it's sort of in this gray area process where it's yeah. like, it's not, it's never been like a schedule one substance, of course, because it's not a, a substance of abuse at all. And it just was like certain preparations, uh, you know, traditional prep and, and, you know, a couple of these countries, like the bags of it, you can sell, you can't sell extracts. And sometimes it'll get stopped. Sometimes it won't, you know, so it's like, uh, but in most places around the world, the U.S., it was grandfathered in under the, the Shea Act of 1994, Dietary, mm-hmm. you know, Food and Supplement Act. So it's considered a dietary supplement. We're getting food classification for these in the future for these things. Um, and, and so that's a whole other thing. Um, you know, the UK is one that there's some challenges as well too, but most countries around the world, it's completely fine, uh, you know, at this point. So it's, it's moving. It's just taking time. You know, let's put it this way. It's in a way better position than, than cannabis and CBD are and the cbd market is doing amazing of course it's exploding almost because yeah i just wish people would produce better quality cbd Uh, but that's going to be uh that's going to be an issue in the future uh you mentioned a word earlier and we're going to kind of for the audience listening to this there was a couple words that cameron mentioned that i'm going to pick apart we're going to delve into those a little bit you said cavalectones and 
people listening to this are like, oh, I thought we were talking about kava kava. And so kava lectones, my understanding is, is that sort of what I look at that as the active ingredient. And if so, you know, can we explain what kava lectones are, what the differences are between and what some of the benefits maybe each have? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Covalactones, just like cannabinoids in cannabis, right? Whenever we think about cannabis, we think about this array of active constituents. The effects of it, just like I, I alluded to earlier, the entourage effect, the combination of, of all the different constituents that make up the full therapeutic action of the plant are due to this class of compounds. Like, like in cannabis, there's over 200 or so uh, 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 cannabinoids and several supportive constituents. With kava, the most active constituents are these kava lactones. And they're, they're lipid-like compounds. Lactones are lipid-like compounds um, that come to the surface of the traditional brew um, that kind of give it this gloss. And it's sort of this oil gloss that sort of comes to the top. Um, there are 19, 18, well, there's actually 19 now, total known covalactones, which we think that there may be more, but the ones that have been isolated and identified, we know of 19, six of which produce the overwhelming um, majority of the effects that, I've, you know, that uh, you know, kava has become so famous for. So the main one that's been studied the most is, is one called kavane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's dihydrocavane, which is a double bonded form of, of kavane. Then there's one called methysticin, there's one called dihydromethysticin, a double bonded form of that. And then there's one called yangonin. And then there's one called desmethoxyangonin. So these are the primary six that elicit most of the effects that we know to be so great with kava. Um, now, that being said, a lot of people, you know, whenever we look at kava lactones, and I mean, we do kava lactone analysis on all the products that we produce, um, you know, to try to give people a percentage, a total kava lactone percentage and you know, even, you know, well, what's called a chemotype, which is like six digit number sequence that gives us the ratios, you know. So, so you're effectively like order. sequencing the kava plant. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, well, it's, you know, a, a, a chemotype, quality, it, you know, sure. it gives us, right, exactly. I mean, it gives us, you know, a six digit number sequence of, you know, each, each kava lactone is assigned a numerical value one through six. And you put them in order based on, you know, the concentrations in relation to each other. So you get a general idea of the ratios and the amounts of each one, and it varies per strain. So if you get a, you know, a, you know, a chemotype from a specific strain from Vanuatu that happens to be more of a sedating strain versus one from Tonga that happens to be more of a social enhancing strain, more of a daytime strain, then you can look at the chemotype and get a general idea of what the effects might be. But the problem is, is that there are so many other compounds in kava that aren't accounted for you could actually have a solvent extract with a you know you know with a chemotype that's identical to a traditional preparation and the effects be totally different as far as like the potency and what you can expect to get from it but mm-hmm. it gives you a ballpark idea which is really the best we have right now um as to uh, you know you're trying to get a total idea of the you know the, you know, the effects of kava now total kava lactone percentage is more useful because you have a higher covalactone percentage, you know you're going to have a more potent drink. But the ratio thing um, is is not quite as useful in knowing exactly exactly what you're getting. But we're helping to push that process, you know, further in the future to try. So you're to be essentially able to... creating the wine menu of kava. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because yeah. just like with cannabis, there are hundreds of different strains of kava. Some are more daytime, some are more nighttime. Some showcase more of kava's nootropic, mood boosting, cognitive enhancing effects and are not sedating at all and some are very heavy and like bedtime sedating type of 
type of compounds because kava mm-hmm. also has effects on dopamine and stuff as well too without being addictive so it's it's you know it's really interesting so it's important when you get into real kava most people don't even have the discussion around different strains of kava we just see these capsules in the health food store shelf they just call it kava and the main reason yeah. is is because they can't even distinguish between strains because they're getting from one of five major brokers in Vanuatu that gets you know huge bushels in from hundreds of different farmers and all the strains are mixed together and they can't discern so you can't get a lot of consistency and effects when you extract them with solvents you lose a lot of the effects anyway so you can't tell the difference um but when we're talking about actually getting into kava medically like we're talking about with cannabis strain matters right you go to dispensaries you want to get the right strain obviously for the right therapeutic application so that's something that's really important with kava but in regards to kava lactones um like you know with our products we do measure for the chemotype you know using hplc methodology and well, actually uhplc now uh, and then we also get a you know total kava lactone content mm-hmm. and so it does give us that that general idea and it is very helpful um you know, to know that, you know, if, if we're getting, say, high levels of cavein and yangonin, we're going to have more of the euphoric effects and the anxiolytic effects from the cavein um, mm-hmm. than we would get, say, from the double bonded, you know, DHK dihydrocavin or dihydromethistican that are very, very, that extend the half-life of the overall um, experience and are much more in the body and extremely calming, less in the head and more in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 it helps us know some of these things by looking at chemotype, but the general gist is, is if you're getting a higher covalactone content, you're going to have a stronger product. Um, and then you sort of dial it in from there with expertise. Amazing. This is, uh, wow. Thank you so much for going into that. I, I I've even lost my train of thought here. That was, I was so caught up in that moment. Um, <laughs> In in terms of just, let's talk about some of these percentages of covalactones because you've mentioned to me a, a few times in passing, 70% plus covalactones. What's the remaining percentage? Is it, because I know some people out there are going to be concerned about fillers, right? Because mm-hmm. um, in supplements, you can get fillers and those fillers can actually be more harmful than good. What is the remaining percentage that's not covalactone? Right. Yeah. So- all the products that we produce, and that was sort of, you know, whenever I got into this whole world of kava and, you know, decided that I was going to start a company and partner with individuals in the, in, um, in, in the islands and get a supply chain in which we could verify individual strains and trace every step of the process and make sure that there wasn't mold growing on things and where we could control it from a quality standpoint, I also had to develop some extraction methods that that mimicked that were that basically completely paralleled the, the traditional preparation methodology so that our products could be classified as food grade products that are in so that we could get that full array of different effects from it. Um, so the um, the 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 extraction process that we use with our process um, we have several different forms. We have some forms that are much lower covalactone percentage that actually sometimes can be stronger than the higher percentage ones, depending on how they're, they're made. But we do have like, you know, say like a preparation that comes out in, in, you know, an encapsulatable form, um, you know, very small volume where we've removed all the water from it after doing the, the extraction process. And we end up with something that's 70, you know, anywhere from 70 to 95% pure covalactones. The excess in that, we don't use 
you know, any chemicals. We don't use any fillers. We don't use anything. It's the pure kava. What you're getting is you're getting a little bit of the excess kava material in there. You're getting um, some of the, you know, some of the resins and the, and the, you know, the fibers that are still in there. You're also getting some of the, um, I mean, very little of the fibers, but you're getting some of the, uh, um, you know, you know, the flavonoids and, you know, sort of the enzymatic activity and a lot of the other different excess sort of just plant material that's that you know, you know comprises the, the 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 lateral roots and the basal stump that we're using there um so no there are no fillers that's taking up any of that extra volume there because there's you know there's there's more to the composition of kava i mean there's you know kava is like it's like 40 or something you know percent around 40 something percent starch and then there's a percentage that's fat and there's a percentage of protein because it's it's like a food so there's more to the overall weight to kava than just the oily complex of kava lactones mm -hmm. even though the kava lactones is like the special sauce or the most special sauce it's still this composition thing so it really is sort of kind of like a whole food at that point and that's really what makes up the the rest of it and some of the traditional traditional preparations that aren't concentrated into smaller volumes like the drinks that we're in the process of producing they have much lower covalactin percentage and much higher on the starch content much higher on the um on the on the you know on the fat content and on the protein content as well um so you end up with lower covalactin percentage but because you have this whole entourage sometimes that's the strongest form that you'll get it in Mm -hmm. But if you want immediate effects, immediate effects, you definitely can benefit from higher covalactone content, especially if it's still produced through the same method as you would produce the drink. And you can get up to these really high levels of these covalactones and, um, the, and still have that, that extra percentage of supportive constituents that acts as sort of the bedrock that helps increase the bioavailability of these main covalactones helps increase the half-life of them to where we can get this sort of whole depth uh, of, 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 of the full, you know, effects profile that you would expect from a traditional drink. Noble Kava. What is that? Right. So I, I mentioned it earlier, just yeah. kind of touched on it. So Noble Kava is a classification term that was that well, it comes out of Vanuatu. So it's, it's a classification term uh, that has been given to a specific class of domesticated kava that has been dialed in over thousands of years by planting and replanting and selecting for certain characteristics of certain kava plants. Um, it's been dialed in for daily use, right? Mm -hmm. So this basic class is, it, you know, basically to be classified as noble, it has to meet a certain chemical composition standard. So it has to have a specific chemotype, like I, you know, kind of just touched on. It has to fall within a certain range, and it can't have over a certain level of these these extra compounds um, that are not as egregious as the aerial part compounds, but they're still kind of in in the plant's defense system. They're mm -hmm. they're sort of subtly irritating in the more wild forms, and they're called flavocavines. Um, and they're these little chalcone compounds that actually have therapeutic action in small dosages, and there's a hormetic response. Our body adapts to them, and they upregulate certain hormonal systems if they're in the right ratios with certain, you know, other constituents in the plant. But if in the wild forms and the non-noble forms that haven't been dialed in, they're in higher amounts and the ratios are higher. So you can get side effects. You can get stomach upset. You can get, you know, next day grogginess. And we don't even actually know that you can ever get really to a dangerous level with them if you prepare it, you know, traditionally. We know if you have a bunch of flavocavanes and then 
and then concentrate them with solvents, you can end up in some egregious territory. But we do know that they give side effects. So these non-noble varieties in, in the islands, they call them two-day varieties, T-U-D-E-I. But really, it, it, it comes from the words two-day because you can get like a two-day hangover from these sometimes wow. in, in these more, these, these kavas that are closer to wild kava. These ones that come straight out that are wild kava, they express high amounts of these flavocaveins, so you get really potent effects because uh, they have high levels of cavalactones as well. But you can only use them really for acute medicinal value um, for like, you know, emergencies or for like, you know, ceremonies or something. Because if you, if you use them every day, you start to accumulate these stomach side effects and this sort of like, it's, it's just not a smooth experience. Mm -hmm. But the Vanuatu people have been, you know, selecting for the most tolerable ones, the ones that, um, that express lower amounts of these flavocaveins. And they've dialed these in over thousands of years to where now we have this class of kava that is so smooth that that has that meets this chemical composition standard that you can take continuously virtually without side effects at all and with very low levels and, and sometimes no levels of these flavocavines in them of these flavocavines so um that's very important so basically all of our strains that we use we control every step of the process we partner with farmers who started you know we farms ourselves where we grow individual strains where we have a chemotype for each strain. We certify that it's 100% noble kava for daily use. We're not opposed to going into some of the non-noble kavas for acute medicinal value in the future, but right now we're only working with nobles because they're the ones that we know are safe for daily consumption over a long period of time through this traditional preparation methodology. Um, but noble kavas, it's, it's very important for us to make this, this, this distinction I'm not against these other forms of, of kava, especially for you know, acute medicinal application, but they do need to be separated out because if people get side effects, we don't want to hurt kava's reputation. We need to know what you're getting, right? And so you know, noble kava is the class that's going to be under you know, the food classification standard as well and stuff too. So all of our products that we produce are produced with 100% certified noble kava material from individual strains. Very cool. Uh, Cameron, this has been an absolute education. Now, just keeping an eye on time here, I want to transition now into a little bit of final four questions. But just given the, the level of conversations that we've had before, I'm sure we're going to come back to Kava on the show at some point. Uh, so let's start with those final four questions. What's your, what book has most significantly impacted your life? Ooh, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting one. You know, um, Probably, you know, there I, I could I could throw out some from a I, I guess from a philosophical standpoint. You know, in 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 regards to plant medicine, I read uh, Christian Rash's Encyclopedia of Psychoactive Plants, and I know that's kind of like it's like a full encyclopedia, right? So it's probably <laughs> like a standard book. But I had a lot of time whenever I was sick, right? So I, I literally read through this entire thing, and it's it's probably the most comprehensive overview of of the ethnobotanical world and gives some sort of context to the, you know, the, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, point, the, the role of psychoactive compounds with the, the manifest through the natural ecology, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, everything from extremely potent, uh, you know, psychedelic compounds that have amazing application in certain circumstances I've, that, have, that have changed my life and given me perspective and really are responsible for uh, the depth and understanding of sort of, you know, you know the ecosystem behind plant medicine, um, all the way to cannabis, all the way to kava, all the way to more subtle compounds. 
and just understanding plant pharmacology and just sort of the value uh, of this of plant medicine, right? And sort of the that it comes out of this intelligent living system that is this organism that is the planet, and they're extensions of this world, just like we're extensions of this world. Um, just like an apple is an extension of the apple tree, like uh, we're not individuals on this world. We're we're part of an uh, an integrated system, which is why these compounds are so compatible with us. Because the same intelligence that developed that our bodies sprung out of, you know, the plants also manifest from that same intelligent network. Call it what you will. So I guess that would be just one that comes to mind, just off the top of my head, because after spending time in that work right which is it, it is an encyclopedia but it's it's kind of like a extended book as well too um it just it changed my whole perspective uh on plant medicine and i had experiences mm -hmm. with psychedelic compounds on top of that and that really sort of set the stage with everything i do philosophically going forth with plant medicine so that was a big one for me amazing um what's your top trick for enhancing focus well <laughs> You know, I mean, you I, may be biased, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, kava is one of my go-tos as far as a compound that I would take, right? But I mean, I'm a huge, a huge advocate for the multi-therapeutic approach. I'm a huge advocate for getting the basics right before you take any supplement or compound, right? I mean, kava is an amazing substance and there's all kinds of individual amazing substances, but there's no pill or powder or lotion or potion or even amazing plant medicine that's going to undo horrible, you know, life circumstances or horrible um, you know, bad habits, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So horrible dietary habits, you know, lack of movement, right? Lack of good quality sleep, which of course, kava helps with the feeds back into it, of course. But, um, but, you know, for me, doing everything I can to improve sleep, to improve the lighting conditions in my in my house, to not eating after a certain time, to getting movement throughout the day to, you know, make sure the my circadian rhythms are in, in line with each other. Um, you're keeping my levels of systemic inflammation low. So I, you know, all those basic things that getting into to the sort of like health and wellness biohacking world that people are trying to do to invest in their health, to get better performance out of themselves. Um, uh, you know, both from a, from a family standpoint, a business standpoint, you know, everything. Um, I would go to all of those things first and, uh, you know, Kava definitely, honestly, I mean, and, and not just even saying that because it's, it's, it's something that we happen to be talking about. It really is an amazing nootropic compound that has probably the best therapeutic to drawback ratio of any powerful plant medicine that I've ever seen. Like it, it gives you these amazing benefits without the intolerance, you know, addiction and withdrawal process, but it gives you amazing acute benefits and it has effects on dopamine as well without being addictive. Um, and it's just, it's got this great sort of balance to it, right? There are more powerful compounds that you could take. You could take, you could take modafinil. You could take a, you know, you, you could take a lot of things that are, well, I wouldn't even necessarily say that they're even better and always more powerful, but, um, but you, you have to take into context, you know, the, you know, the cost benefit ratio of everything. Of and is it actually giving to your system? It's that knowledge wisdom thing that I mentioned earlier, right? It's mm -hmm. like the wisdom of taking something over a long period of time. So all things considering, um, and you know, kava is definitely one of my favorite individual compounds. Um, you know, improving sleep, doing the basics, you know, grounding outside, getting lots of sunlight, you know, getting, um, you know, you know, chemicals and processed foods out of your diet. That is the, I mean, those are all the basics of how you really improve and invest in your health and improve your cognition so that you can bring it in every aspect of your life. And then things like cover sort of the icing on the cake. 
What excites you most about the health world right now? Right now, you know, I mean, we're in this time right now where we're getting a, a, a tremendous acceleration uh, and, you know, progression of, of everything from, you know, technologies to biotechnologies to even just, 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 just general intercommunication, human consciousness on the planet. It's a really exciting time because things are moving so fast and the rate at which they're moving is also accelerating, right? Um, so we're more connected than we ever have been. So we can send and receive information faster than we ever have been before too. So we're able to fast track pretty much everything. Um, you know, some of the things that are coming out of the, the field of biotechnologies really excite me. Um, stem cell medicine really excites me. Um, you know, certain things, you know, within, uh, you know, uh, you know, anti senescent drugs, you know, that, that, that deal with, you know, senescent cells possibly there's, there's, there's a lot of things within sort of like the biotechnology sort of circuit around enhancing the body's ability to turn over new cells, to lengthen telomeres, to extend, you know, the, the, um, human lifespan uh, that are actually look really promising towards the future at actually mm -hmm. really moving the dial excite me a lot. But what excites me even more is individuals being able to send and receive much more good information that's not compromised, kind of like, uh, you know, the story with Kava where people just parrot something that's not based on any objective evidence and, and, and looking at, you know, historically what makes sense as well too. So I'm talking about just general health principles, like people getting access to good information that's complete about general approaches to upkeeping this machine that is the human body and the human psyche. You know, just, just principles like um, feast famine cycling, like fasting, like when to eat, when to not, right? There's, there's a time and a place, context matters there. And you can, you can do so much for your health by just understanding basics of how a human being traditionally and, and ancestrally has developed to be able to, you know, interface with the natural world and all of its cycles and all of its sort of natural compounds. How do we derive energy from our environment in the best ways possible, right? Um, you know, from, you know, different forms of, of food that we consume. Uh, so there are a lot of things here that are becoming much more popular um, and we're just able to really dive deep on them because we can, like, you know, you and I can communicate from across the world. We can have this podcast. We can have long form conversations. We can unpack the context in this so we can get clarity. I can take that into my own world over here in which I'm, you know, you know accelerating things in certain aspects of the, of the uh, uh, you know, of, of the space and of the industry. And you do the same, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this excites me, right? There's so much going out, you know, coming out of the, the more sort of like, you know, therapy world. And then there's, there's much more coming out of like the lifestyle, you know, sort of, you know, application integration world as well. So it, it all excites me to answer your question. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Cameron, where can people find out more about you, your company, and if they want to get the Kava, where can they get it? Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to, to uh, gettruekava.com. It's a, you know, good resource for everything, the information. We're just, uh, you know, making some renovations to the site, you know, providing pretty much everything that, you know, an individual would need to know. Um, and of course you can email us if you have any extra adjunctive information about the regulatory status or about uh, the science or specifics on, you know, something more than what the average person would want to know as well. So get is the website. You can find us on, on, you know, Facebook, true Kava page or at true Kava on Instagram or at true Kava on Twitter, any of those, so we're on all social media. Just just search True Kava and you'll find us. And uh, yeah, so 
Yeah. And and true just for everybody's edification is spelled. Oh yes, yes. So so it's it's T R U, not T R U E. Okay. Yeah, thank perfect. you for that. <laughs> so get truecava.com T R U. Yes. Cameron, this has been an absolute pleasure. Education and so many other things. I've enjoyed the conversation a lot and uh, I need to find a way to get this stuff into the Netherlands. So we're going to have a conversation shortly after this. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. To all the superhumans listening out there, you can check this one out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you want, but have an epic day. How'd you guys enjoy that show? It's amazing that in certain places, even the place that I live today, Kava is still shrouded in controversy. It's something that I hope changes very, very soon. But if you want to go and try True Kava, you can head on over to tru.kava.com and get yours today. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. I read them out as I did earlier, and I really hope to hear from you. Thank you, superhumans, for tuning in today and have an absolutely epic day.